Amen. Thank you all. Exodus chapter 18 tonight. We're going to be looking at the worship and the wisdom of Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, the worship and the wisdom of Jethro, Exodus chapter 18. The first 12 verses are all about the worship of Jethro, and verses 13 and beyond is all about the wisdom of Jethro. Begin in verse 1. We are reminded here that Jethro served as the priest of Midian. He was serving the Lord. He had a relationship with the Lord. He did not know the Lord as well as Moses, but here was a man who knew Yahweh and was serving the Lord as a priest. Remember, a priest was a spiritual leader. A priest was a teacher. A priest was a mediator between God and men. A priest was somebody that stood at the house of God and served the Lord. Here was a man who was serving, and it was out of his service that he was growing, that he was learning, that he was understanding more about God. There is no greater way for us to grow in our relationship with God than to dive into serving the Lord. Here he was, a priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, and notice it says he heard about all that God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, how he brought them out of Egypt. He heard. We've talked about this throughout our study of the Old Testament. You see people who were moved by what they heard. Moved by what they heard. Again, that goes back to faith, comes by hearing. It is hearing the voice of God and having then that faith birthed and strengthened within us. Jethro heard about what God had done. How did he hear unless someone told him? So here we also see that, again, worship and witness is tied together. Who was telling Jethro? Well, maybe Moses, but I'm sure others were telling Jethro about the great things that God has done. It behooves us as the people of God who are walking with God, experiencing God, engaged with God, seeing God do things, that we tell others, that we witness, that we testify about our God. How will others hear unless we tell them? And certainly worship is a part of that. It's a way for us to lift up our voices and to extol him and to exalt him and to lift him on high, letting others know who our God is. I would encourage you to seize the opportunities that you have throughout your day, throughout your week, throughout your month, throughout your year, to let others know what God is doing. Amen. What God is doing. Remembering what God has done. For his people, God has a people, and I'm so glad that he does. He bring, brings us out of bondage. He brought his people in the Old Testament out of bondage, and he's brought us out of bondage through our faith in Jesus Christ. We've been set free. Set free. So Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, verse 2, took Moses' wife, Zipporah, after he had sent her back. There was a time where Moses was intensely, you know, 
battling it out with Pharaoh, and so he sent his wife and sons back, and, and Jethro, the father of Zipporah, took her and his two grandsons in to his own home. The one Gershom, whose name means I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. Basically, I'm a sojourner. I'm a temporary dweller, which is exactly who God's people should always be and how we should look at our time on earth. We are just passing through on our way to our permanent home. Our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3.20. And then I love the name of the other, Eliezer. The God of my fathers has been my help. I underline God, my help, in verse 4. And I love this word for help. It means one who runs to the aid of one who cries out for help. And it also speaks about God as our defender. I love that. Anytime God hears the cries of his people, he runs to help them. God is our helper and our defender. Verse 5, Joseph uh, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and his wife, came to Moses in the desert, where, notice, he was camping by the mountain of God. There's an important note here about the proximity of where Moses pitched his tent to where the presence of God was. He was close to the presence of God. When, when you and I walk with God, Hopefully there comes that point where we just can't pursue him enough, where, where we can't have his presence in our life enough, and we are constantly running to God, and wherever God is, that's where we want to be. That was Moses, pitching his tent next to the mountain of God where God's presence was manifested. Wherever God's presence is, that's where God's people should be. That's why I encourage people to come to the house of God because God's presence is manifested here. Amen. And then we carry God's presence because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He said to Moses, verse 6, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you along with your wife and your two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down, kissed him. They each asked each other about each other's welfare. Then they went into the tent. And then notice, Moses began to witness or testify to his father-in-law about all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to Egypt for Israel's sake. The word told means to recount, to relate, but it speaks about a narrative in great detail from beginning to end. Moses basically laid it all out there for Jethro to hear. A wonderful story to tell. All of us have a story to tell. God is writing a story through our lives. And we can sit down and share that story or parts of that story with folks to magnify our God, to, to help them to see that without God, where would we be? And to be able to give God the glory for all the great things that he has done. This is what Moses is doing. He is pausing to relate to his own father-in-law, the great things that God has done for his people. But then notice this. He also relates to Jethro all the hardship that had come on them along the way. 
weariness in the wilderness from the challenges that they faced. And we've been talking about those challenges throughout our study of the book of Exodus since God had released them from bondage in Egypt. It is a reminder to us that even though we've been set free, there's going to be hardship in life at times. There's going to be challenges and things that we need to deal with even after we've been set free. Ah, but notice, Moses began with glorifying God and he ends with glorifying God. Because even though he in the middle talks about the hardships, he also then relates how the Lord had delivered them. And this word delivered speaks about delivering us through our hardships, through our trials. As I've shared with you before, God, our God, is a through God. He doesn't want us to go around things. He, he doesn't want us to, to escape those things or to deny that they're there. He wants us to learn to go through them with him. That's how he mainly delivers. It's he delivers his people through whatever we need to go through. After that, notice Moses' exaltation of God inspires Jethro's worship. Don't miss that. Moses' exaltation of God inspires Jethro's worship. Witness inspires worship because as soon as Jethro heard all that God had done for the people of Israel, again, not for him, not for him, he rejoiced because of all the good that the Lord had done for Israel. This word rejoice, it, it's hard to capture the fullness of what this word means. It means more than just Jethro was glad or happy. He was actually ecstatic. It, it, it's a word that speaks about being beside himself. And it's at the heart level, which is where worship starts. This is an internal response of Jethro to what he's heard about how the Lord has delivered his people. He's rejoicing within his own spirit, and he is beside himself ecstatic at what he is hearing God has done for others. Now, before we move on, I also want to point this out. Notice what is written there in verse 9. Because of all the good that the Lord has done for Israel. God is good. Is there going to be hardship in life? Yes. God is good. In fact, you could pretty much summarize all of our lives with those two statements. In life, there will be hardship, but God is good. And God's goodness always overrides and overcomes the hardships. Always. 
always. So then notice verse 10. As I said, this passage tonight is a great sort of model and example for us about worship and where it starts and, and how it's ignited and where it should come from. Here's this man who had no experience with what had went on. All he is going on is what his son-in-law, Moses, has told him. And he is just overjoyed at what he's hearing God has done for someone else. And now, in that heart level, he can't keep it in. So in verse 10, that expression of his heart now finds its way to his mouth. And Jethro then says, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you from the hand of Egypt. This is a public acknowledgement and expression of who God is and what he's done. Again, even going back to God's good. Yeah, I get it. You guys have had some hardships along the way, but God is good, and he's delivered you through all of them. You're here today in my tent because of the goodness of God, and we need to praise him for it. We need to praise him for it. See, I, I want you to note, because this is words that I sort of underline in my own Bible to remind me of the progression here, Rejoicing in verse 9 is that internal heart level thing. Being beside myself on the inside, but then not being able to keep it there. I can't keep it there. I can't, I can't shut it up. I've got I've to find expression for that rejoicing that's going on in here. And so I begin to bless the name of the Lord and lift him up with our mouth. And as Jethro does this, notice then what he goes on to say in verse 11. Not only that God is good, verse 9, but that God is great. Now I know that the Lord is even greater than all the gods. For in the thing in which they dealt proudly against them, I think speaking about the Egyptians, he's destroyed them. God is greater. And notice something that Jethro is stating here. He obviously had a relationship with God. He was a priest of God. But the word know here speaks about now I understand even more. And how did he get there? Through Moses' testimony, through Moses telling the story, through Moses' detailed narrative from beginning to end, through Moses' witness, he now is giving his father-in-law more information to come to know God in a deeper, more profound way that stirred and inspired and motivated Jethro's worship of God. It's the way it should work in our life. Again, just like worship and the word, there's a continuity, they work together, so should the witness and worship be the same way. I share with others what God has done, and that even inspires me then to want to worship the God that I can tell these great stories about. 
hopefully as I share these stories about what God has done and how good he is and how great he is with others, that they are then inspired and motivated to worship our God. And out of all this, as then as we begin to worship him, we want to keep telling stories and hearing stories about our God because it's just amazing to sit around and to relate and to recount the stories of God. I think that's one of the things we're going to be doing throughout eternity. When Christians say, well, what are we going to be doing up there all that time? Well, we're going to be doing a lot. We're not going to be inactive by any stretch of the imagination. And I think one of the things we're going to be doing is we're going to be hearing stories of all the saints of all time from everywhere on this earth. And I think we're going to be hearing stories of how amazing our God was throughout history, things that we would never know otherwise. It's a powerful thing to witness. You see, that's why, can I say this? That's why our spiritual enemy wants us to keep our mouth shut. He doesn't want us to witness or worship because he, maybe even more than we, understands the power of it. There is power in witness and there is power in worship. And then I love this. Verse 12. From his heart, rejoicing, to his mouth, verse 10, blessing, now comes his feet and his hands are energized to now offer up offerings and sacrifices to his God. Then Jethro, verse 12, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. Burnt offerings were representative of full devotion to God. Why? Because they were completely consumed. They were burnt up. God had it all. That was part of the purpose behind God instituting burnt offerings. Total consuming of the sacrifice upon the altar. That's how God wants us to be. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, I urge you, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The problem with the living sacrifice, I've shared this before, is we can crawl off the altar. And sometimes we do, and we have to crawl back up and say, yeah, I'm yours, God. I'm all yours. Completely consume me. I'm your burnt offering. So again, the progression is it starts with Jethro's heart, overflowing and overjoyed with what he hears God has done to the Israelites and for the Israelites. It leads him to bless the Lord with his mouth, to praise him, to exalt him, to worship him with his lips. And then it goes to his, his hands and his feet, if you will, energizing his body to come and bring burnt offerings and sacrifices to the place of worship. But then it culminates in this. He brought the burnt offering for himself. He brought the other sacrifices for his guests at the table. Because notice it says that Aaron... 
And all the elders of Israel, verse 12, came to eat food with the father-in-law of Moses. And don't miss these last two words, very important, before God. Now, we can read those verses and keep on going, but many times in the Old Testament, the phrase before God literally means before the face of God. In other words, God was the guest of honor at this meal. His presence was there. And let's not forget that in the Bible, a meal was symbolic of close fellowship. And so by these elders, if you will, of the nation of Israel, sitting down and eating a meal together, it not only was reminding us about the close fellowship that they had as God's people, but the close intimacy that they had with their God. He was right there amongst them. And I love that because that's where we are today. Here we are tonight, the people of God, and we are together, and hopefully we are in close fellowship with each other, that God is continuing to knit our hearts together with each other. But we also have God as the guest of honor. He is here. And what we have done tonight and what we are doing tonight is literally before the face of God. God is here viewing us, shining upon us with his face. Never read the phrase before God the same way. Every time you see that phrase, think about the face of God. That will transform how you and I look at those verses. Literally, God's there. So this wonderful chapter begins with worship. But then we also see that out of Jethro's life experience, he was an older man at this point, even than Moses. Out of his experience and, and knowledge and understanding that he gained through serving the Lord as a priest, he was able to bring Moses some much-needed wisdom. And I want to say this now while I think about it. This is a great illustration, this chapter, that you and I don't need a lot of people in our life. We just need the right people. We just need the right person. Moses didn't need a lot. He had this one person at this point that totally changed the trajectory of how he did ministry and I think saved his ministry and helped him sustain his ministry over the long haul. We need to remember that. God may not bring a lot of people into our life, but we don't need a lot of people. We just need the right people at the right time. So on the next day, verse 13, Moses sat to judge or govern the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. And notice, Moses' father-in-law cared enough about Moses that he watched this. There'd be a lot of people that'd be like, oh, my son-in-law, he's out there doing his own thing. I'm, I'm doing my... No, 
he cared enough to observe Moses as he was serving. That's important too. When Moses' father-in-law, verse 14, saw all that he was doing for the people, he says, what is this you're doing for the people? Why are you sitting by yourself or alone and all the people stand around you from morning into evening? And Moses' answer was, well, because they come. They come. Because the people come to me to inquire of God. Can you imagine? You've got one leader and two million people. I mean, the line for Moses would have been longer than the line in the Apple store when a new device comes out. (laughs) Every day. And in verse 16, when they have a dispute, they come to me. He basically has to do it all. He even makes known the decrees of God and his laws. In other words, he even teaches them the word, verse 16. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good, not Not what you're doing so much. I would have probably used the word how. It's because it's not that what Moses is doing isn't good in and of itself. It's how he's doing it. He's doing it all alone without anybody to help him. He says, verse 18, you will surely wear out You will become totally drained, unable to help effectively the people that you are truly wanting to help. For this is too heavy, too much of a burden just for you. You're not able to do it alone. God never expects us to do ministry alone. Even Moses couldn't do it all by himself. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel or advice, and may God be with you. In other words, I love this. Jethro is saying, I'm going to give you counsel and wisdom, but at the end of the day, God's got to be the one that leads you here. You be a representative for the people of God, and you bring their disputes to God. Warn them of the statutes and laws, and make known to them the way in which they must walk and work, and they must do this. But you choose from the people, verse 21, capable men, God-fearing, men of truth, who hate bribes and put them over the people as rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of ten. Literally, they will judge the day-to-day affairs of this huge group. You then will be saved to deal with the more significant, consequential things that come up. Okay? Now, I want to go back to verse 21. The choices that we make of who we do ministry with and who helps us bear the burden ultimately must be who God wants, not who we want. Many times, God's choice is different from our choice. I think about that in the Bible. Think about David. Nobody was going to choose David. But David was God's choice. Would we have chosen the same 12 guys that Jesus chose to be his disciples? Probably not. So we do need to make sure that the people that we choose are the people that God is choosing. 
But Jethro does give Moses some great wisdom here as to at least, as you're seeking God in this, look for these things. And these things, can I say, are just as relevant and applicable today for who we look for, even within the body of Christ, as they were thousands of years ago for Moses. First of all, capable men. It means people who were strong spiritually and stable. You don't give leadership positions to those who are weak and they need to be built up yet and who are unstable, tossed to and fro. You've got to look for strong... Now, again, we're talking about leaders here. Leaders. Strong, stable. Then second, God-fearing. Having a proper, healthy reverence and respect for God. Men of truth. It simply means those who are reliable, dependable, and faithful. How frustrating is it to put somebody in leadership that you can't count on? In fact, the Bible even says in the book of Proverbs, putting an unfaithful person into a leadership position will bring you the same pain that a tooth does. That's why I've shared. The Bible says, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man or woman be found faithful. Faithful. If they're faithful, then you can sort of work from that. But if they're not faithful... Maybe not leadership material yet, yet. And then those who hate bribes. It simply means those who can't be bought or pushed around. Put them over. Let them deal with the day-to-day affairs. You keep yourself for the more significant, consequential things. And then I love the end of verse 22. So that you may make it easier for yourself and they will bear or lift or carry the burden with you. We're told to do that. Bear one another's burdens. Who's your burden bearer? Who's the one that helps you carry the load that God has asked you to carry? We all need burden bearers, and we need to be burden bearers to others. Verse 23, if you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able, and this is a key, to endure, to keep standing to sustain your position, and then all these people will be able to go home satisfied or literally in spiritual prosperity. That's an important principle. Jethro's giving some great wisdom. He says, you realize you need to sustain this. If you can't sustain it under the present circumstances, then something has to change because you're not going to be good and the people aren't going to benefit if you can't sustain this. I've had to definitely get to that place with God and with all of you in this stage of my life. I want to be here for a long time to come. So about 10 years ago even, I had to start ordering my life in a way that I could sustain this over the long haul. That I could be here Sunday and Wednesday, Sunday and Wednesday that I wouldn't wear myself out to the point where I would become vulnerable to getting sick because I was so drained that my immune system was so depleted. I mean, these are all things that all of us have to consider so that we can stay at our post and be there and be dependable and all of that. 
But we've got to order our life in such a way that we can do that so that we can sustain not just for a week, not just for a month, but for years. And that's what Jethro is saying to Moses. You've got to do this for years, Moses. Figure out then what you need to do in order to sustain this over the long haul. One final thing. And this is one of the most important as well. The great Moses, someone that is revered by Christians throughout history, one of our Bible heroes, one of what we would call one of the greats, right, in the Bible, he listened to his father-in-law and did everything that he had said. Moses exemplified that even though he was a great leader, he was never above being teachable, humble, and listening to the good advice of others. You see, here's where I want to leave you. Great leaders are always great followers. If you can't follow, then spiritually you can't lead. In fact, you never get to a place, no matter how great you become as a leader in God's kingdom, where you're not required to follow. Great leaders always, throughout our lives, must be great followers. That's the way of it. That's why even Paul said, follow me as I what? Follow Christ. You and I, if we want to be better leaders, then we've got to be exceptional followers. We've got to be able to just sit back and not always be the leader and learn to faithfully follow others. And then out of that, in God's time, God then will show us when it's time to ascend to a higher level. Moses, the great Moses, could have said, I'm Moses. Who? You're this old guy, my father-in-law. What do you know? No. He yielded to the voice of his father-in-law because he knew that this is sound advice. I need to listen to this man. And he did so. And he did so. The wisdom of Jethro, the worship of Jethro. A really good chapter for us to absorb into our spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for the amazing time we've had in your house. Thank you, God, for your spirit being so strong here tonight and for leading us in our time of worship. God, we felt you, we heard you, we saw you in this place tonight. Thank you, God, for your word. God, may it also continue to inspire us, God. There's so much in here that you have shared with your people. 
It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. All of us could, could do better if we just allowed your word to be that which lit up our pathway in this world. God, I pray tonight that we would follow the example of Jethro and Moses in this chapter. That we would allow witness to inspire worship and worship to inspire our witness. That we would realize, God, that whatever position you've placed us in, we can't do it alone. We need those that bear the burdens with us. And God, we need to order our life in such a way that we can sustain what you've called us to over the long haul. Help us, Lord. Go with us from this place. Encourage us, God. And bring us all back together on Sunday, once again, to be in your house, to experience your presence, and to worship you. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.